I want to start by just telling three quick stories. So the first story, we had a couple in our church. They were um, having children prolifically and uh, their house was just getting way too small. In fact, their house was staying exactly the same size, but the family was filling it uh, really quickly. And eventually the local council gave them another house, which is brilliant, but it was miles and miles away. Hiya, come on and have a seat. Um, the... It was miles and miles away, uh, and so they had to get in the car to go to school. They had to get in the car to come to church. They had to get in the car to, to go to the supermarket, and that was fine because they had a car until they didn't have a car. Uh, the engine blew up on the car, and um, the mechanic said, no, this, this engine isn't just tired, it's dead. And their small group clubbed together, and they spent £2,000 and they bought this young couple a new engine for their car, which is brilliant. Hi, come on in. Hello. Come on in. As is always the case, the seats are on the far other side. But don't feel embarrassed about being late or anything like that. I'd hate, I'd hate for that. Yeah. That's fine, Peter. You just sit exactly... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I said your name. Um, so... The impact on this couple that their small group had given them a car was unbelievably powerful and something that they would never forget, as well as the fact that the small group were so delighted that they'd been able to do that for them. Second story, uh, as our church began to grow, the three small rooms in the basement of our church building that we own that we were using as an office space, it, just be it became ridiculous. Uh, we, we, we fitted way too many staff into a really sh small space to the degree where if somebody wanted to go to the toilet, then everyone in the room had to stand up to let them get past. And so um, we, we looked at all different ways to try and resolve that. And, and eventually we found an office building on the other side of the city that was going to cost £60,000 a year to rent this office space. And it was in entirely the wrong place, but it was all we could afford. And then one of our trustees said to us, hey, do you know what? Instead of paying rent on a building, why don't we build an office building in the garden of our church building and then we could service a mortgage instead, which was a really brilliant idea. So we had the architect draw up some plans and um, we had the quotes in from the builders and this particular office building was going to cost £375,000 to build this office building. We thought, well, we'll be able to borrow that money, that'll be fine. And then uh, one morning, Taryn and I were away somewhere um, on a ministry trip and an email just came into my inbox from a guy in the church who had come into some money. And he said, I feel like the Lord's asked me to give you £300,000. And um, I just want you as the leaders of the church to feel entirely free to spend that money however you would like. And then it was plus gift aid. So that added up to £375,000. It was, it, in fact, it was within £1,111.11 of, <laughs> roughly, uh, of the amount, that we, the amount that we needed. It was a miracle. Um, and so we were able to build this purpose-built, ideally located building with a permanent prayer room, exactly everything we could have ever dreamed of, and, uh, you, you know, with the money that this particular guy had given. Third story. Uh, just before Christmas there, a couple in our church, we just had a tragedy in our church uh, and a couple lost their three-month-old baby and it was horrific. 
I mean, just horrific. And um, during that process, a couple in, another couple in the church came to Taryn, actually, and they said, hey, listen, we've realized, just as we were praying for this poor couple, we've realized that they probably don't have the savings to be able to pay for the funeral for this baby. And so we just want you to let them know that they should have exactly the funeral that they would want and then just tell them to send us the bill. So powerful. And do you know what? I, I, for those of us who are pastors here, moments like that, when you hear stories like that, you just think, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of our church. I love, I love the church when it's that brilliant. Hi, guys, come on in. Hiya. No, no, it's fine. Just come on in. There's some seats in the front row. There's also some seats on like the nearly the back row. But what Tara and I have realised over the years that we've been leading our church is that actually um, leading a church with a culture that has generosity, has some generosity, is brilliant. But that's not everything that we long for. What we long for is not just a church that has a culture with generosity. We long for a church that has a culture of generosity. In other words, we long for the kind of church that has generosity running through its blood. You know, that, 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 that the, the mark of our church family would be remarkable, sacrificial, outrageous generosity and that you could encounter anyone in our church and that you would encounter that level of generosity. And so we've been on this journey as a church, really, over the last 10 years or so, of trying to figure out how we get from a church that has some generous people in it to the kind of church where we see outrageous acts of generosity happening all the time. And so that's really what I want to try to address in our time together this afternoon. Um, uh, let me just say this. Uh, unfortunately for some of you, I'm a church leader and, and most of what I've done for most of my adult life is that. And so I can speak with some level of experience about church-related generosity, but um, I've never led a golf club. Uh, I've never led a business. I've um, never led a city council. Uh, and so there are some, lots of areas of generosity that I can't really speak into. And what I'm hoping is that in this time together, even if that's the situation that you're in, that you'll hear my heart, which is that I want to see culture redeemed. I want to see societies transformed. I want to see lost people saved. I want to see poor people fed. I want to see entire cities changed. And, and so um, if you need to do a little bit of translation in your own head for some of the stuff that I'll say, which is actually pretty church-centric, then hopefully that'll be okay. Um, so how do we develop a culture of generosity then? Well, the first thing I'd want to say is that what somebody said to me recently is absolutely true. Chuck, hope is not a strategy. In, in other words, it's, you know, like if we keep doing the same things, then we'll keep getting the same result. It, um, Steve Nicholson always says, uh, your systems are perfectly designed to yield the results you're getting. And so therefore, if I want something to change in, my, in the culture of our church, then I'm going to have to change something, right? I mean, it's no good just hoping that people are just going to suddenly become the most outrageously generous people. Uh, I need a strategy for it. And, you know, it, if I've got a problem with small groups and I'm desperate for the culture of small groups to change, then I'm going to have a plan for that, right? Or if, I've got, if the welcome team in my church are mostly hateful and spiteful people, then I'm... <laughs> 
I'm going to want to try and have a plan for how to change that. You know, it's no good just hoping that that's going to change by itself. And honestly, I believe that one of the reasons why the level of resource is not being released into the kingdom in the way that it could be is that we as leaders are not taking responsibility for having a strategy for our financial resources in our churches. We're, we're not having a, a plan for how we would go about changing the level of generosity that we experience in our churches. And so I've, we've come to realise that there are, if we're going to have a, a plan for increasing the level of generosity in our church, then there are probably seven different things, that, seven key areas that I would want to pay attention to or we would want to pay attention to. And so I'm just going to throw those seven things out there. And then if we've got any time at the end, I'll say, does anyone have any questions to ask? And you'll all look at each other like, don't you dare ask a question. We're just absolutely dead. We've hit the wall. But nevertheless... Um, Away we go. So the first thing is this. I'm going to pay attention to myself. As, as I've been researching this subject over years and years, but also in particular preparing for this seminar, what I've come to realise is that there are loads of books written about generosity and most of them are putrid. And so... Um, <laughs> Uh, it's difficult to recommend many books on the subject of giving, but one of the books that I really love is called Contagious Generosity. And the reason I like it is because I like the person who wrote it. It's called Chris Willard. Um, I think he, hang on, I did write down who he wrote it with. Uh, Jim Shepard, Chris Willard and Jim Shepard, Contagious Generosity. They're both experts in this field, and they've spent many years traveling all over the United States mainly, but also in other parts of the world. We met them in Luton, so, you know, it's like that they do travel, they've, they've surveyed all kinds of churches, looked at, looked at all kinds of church cultures, and, and over all the years, what they observed was this. They wrote in their book, they said, we have never seen a generous church that is not led by a generous pastor. Oh, dear. I think that is absolutely true. And we have found that, as just as a family, incredibly challenging. And in a way, it comes back to what John Mark Comer was talking about last night, this idea of uh, what are people seeking to imitate or emulate. And, uh, and so we've got to think through as leaders, what am I modelling for my church? And... and um, uh, are, are we modelling what a sacrificially generous life looks like? Are we modelling what it looks like to live a life that is constrained in what we can do because of the amount that we're giving? So if I can afford to go to Nando's on Monday, McDonald's on Tuesday, Pizza Express on Wednesday and so on, then, then maybe I'm not modelling the kind of generosity that I would want to see emulated by other people. Are there any of my possessions that I wouldn't give away? And to be honest, when I started to think about this, I started to get a bit defensive because I started to think, well, hang on a minute. Um, what, what does it matter what people think? You know, like if I own a Volvo or a, or a Vauxhall Astra, what, you know, like what, why does it matter what, my, what buying decisions I make? And I don't want to make those kind of decisions out of insecurity or because I'm feeling defensive about it. This is way more proactive than that and way more deliberate. I'm just, I just want to ask, 
What are we modeling that other people might look at us and say, gosh, there seems to be a way of life that is working for them. Maybe I could seek to emulate that in some kind of a way. What was it, John? Was it last night John Mark Comer said, um, so the leader goes. What, 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 just somebody shout out what it was. So goes the church. Or in other words, churches grow to reflect the values, the passions, the lifestyles of the people who lead them. And if that is true, then we need to think really carefully about the way that we live. Which leads us on to, in a sense, a, a worse question, which is, um, if, if I'm doing what I actually believe, then what do I believe about giving? What do I believe about generosity? And, and so I would strongly encourage anyone who's setting out on this journey to, th to think through really carefully, what is your theology of generosity and stewardship? So for, let me just throw out some questions and absolutely no answers whatsoever. Um, <laughs> what do you believe about tithing? Do, do you believe that... that um, the whole of the Bible teaches that a Christian should set aside 10% of their income and give that all to the local church. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that that's before or after tax? Um, do you believe that that should all come to the local church or just some of it or most of it? Um, do you believe that there's blessing that comes from giving? And if so, what is the nature of that blessing? And when should I expect that blessing to appear in this life or the next? Uh, do I believe that God will provide for all of my needs? And if so, what constitutes a need? Do you see what I mean? We don't have time to look at any of these things now, but, but my point really is that if I'm not clear, then why would I expect anyone else to be clear? And what we're starting to realise, actually even in the last couple of weeks, is that we have masses of people in our church who are new to faith, or have not been brought up in Christian homes. And this stuff is like landing on another planet. They have no clue. And so I've got to get as clear as I possibly can, and so is Taryn, and, between, and the other pastors. We've got to be crystal clear on what we believe. We've got to make sure that we practice what we believe, and both of those two things have integrity, so that our, the people in our church can start to become clear too. That's the first area. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention to my own life. As Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. That's the first thing. The second thing is, um, I'm going to pay attention to our key leaders and staff. I think we so easily make assumptions about who's with us. You know, who would draw a sword for us in a battle? Who's in it right up to their necks? And we make assumptions about those things. Um, but you know what they say, when you make assumptions, you make an ass out of you and me. Have you heard that? So... so Assumptions are actually not great. Quite early on in our journey of leading our church, I went to our accountant and I said, could you just tell me, here's a list of all of the small group leaders in our church, could you tell me what percentage of those small group leaders are giving in a way that you can identify? And she said, to be honest, that is not your problem. You've got three members of your staff who are not giving a bean. Wow. Wow. And I just went home in shock that night. I was like, let me get this right. I'm like lying awake at night, stressed out of my head, wondering, you know, like which member of staff we're going to have to let go or just trying to think, you know, like the, the pressure of all of this financial stuff. We are feeling it so acutely. And yet at the same time, there are people on our staff who are not even giving a single pound to this. There's something dramatically wrong. And, and, but of course, what we realised was that ultimately... 
it was our fault because we'd never set out any kind of expectations or guidelines for our key leaders, our staff, our trustees to say, actually, this is, what we're, this is just what we're assuming. And so we immediately put that right. We sat our staff team down and we said, listen, our assumption is that not only are we all of us giving regularly, we're all giving generously and sacrificially. And on top of that, we're all seeking to grow in our giving. So every year we're trying to be more generous the next year than we were the year before. And when we interview people to join our staff team now, we make sure that we ask those kind of questions in the interview. You know, like, if we were to look into your giving to our church, how would that work out for you? Would you feel embarrassed about that? Do, should we have a conversation now about what that looks like for you? Um, every time we preach about giving in our church, in the staff meeting immediately beforehand, we give our staff a heads up. We say, listen, we're just about to speak about giving, so can we all just look each other in the eye right now and just make sure that between us, we are all going to seek to grow in generosity and take our own generosity to another level before we ask anyone in our church family to do that. Um, and the goal for us as, as staff, trustees, key leaders is that we're all seeking to grow in our giving and learning afresh the lessons of God's faithfulness and his provision. I was speaking to a friend who leads a multi-site church in, uh, in the Midlands of uh, England actually and and um, I was saying I was telling him how stressed we were about the financial situation in our church and how we were just burning through money all the time and he said to me well obviously you and your finance manager you just kind of kneel together in your office and you just really pray about the finances don't you and I was like yeah 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 we yeah that's exactly what we do yeah 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 and so what we started to do is every thursday when we have an all staff meeting all gathered together once we've eaten cake and we've shared encouragement and we've worshipped and prayed together the very last thing we do before we all go to our you know back to our desks and so on is we actually physically kneel down together and we just say lord we 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 just recognize together that the, the money that puts food on the table for our families is like manna from heaven. It's coming from the generosity of the people in our church family. And so we thank you for those families. We thank you for the way that they give. And we ask you to continue to bless. And so we just take it in turns to lead each other in prayer in that way. Because we want our whole staff team to be on the same journey with us and all equally kind of walking in faith and contending for the provision of our church. So... Uh, generous leaders lead generous churches is really what I'm saying. Uh, number three, data. It's thrilling, isn't it? Yeah, come on. I can see your faces just light up when I talk about data. But the fact, what, what we've come to realize is that the facts are our friends. Even if the facts make very uncomfortable and difficult reading, we are absolutely committed to knowing the truth because data always tells a story. And so we're trying to, like, we've worked really hard, especially our uh, finance manager, our accountant, that they, they're trying to report to us all of the financial detail of our church in a way that helps us to understand exactly what it is that's happening in the life of our church. For example, what percentage of people are giving, what percentage of the people who are committed to our church are giving in a way that we can track and identify? In other words, by standing order or something like that. And 
I, I think that's one of the most useful statistics because it tells a story, right? So if, if the number's really, really low and almost no one's giving to the church, what that means is that you've got a crowd, you don't have a church. But if the number's really, really high, what that says is that you've got no fringe, you've got no one who's kind of walking in, uh, taking steps, trying to discover who Jesus is. Just, I don't know whether this is a helpful number to throw out or not, but just to say, for years and years, that on, on average, um, the, the percentage of committed members of our church who are giving has been about 45%. And then just in the last year or so, that's gone up to about 60%. And so we're thrilled about that. But I don't know how that compares with, with your statistics. It might be helpful to have a discussion later on about that. Um, how much do people give is another one. So is, is the average amount that people give 50 quid or 500 quid? Because that tells a story about how committed people are. When do people give? Do they give once or do they give regularly? Do they give every month except July and December because they've got other things that they'd rather spend their money on in those kind of times? What age are people, are the people who give? Um, we discovered in our context that if you, if you are over 30 and married, then there's a 78% probability that you are giving generously to our church. And if you're under 30 and single, then there's a 17% probability that you're giving generously to the life of our church. So, yeah, so in other words, um, uh, if you're under 30 and single in our church, then you're probably not giving. And so it's a generational thing that we've got to try and find a way of addressing in some kind of a way. Can you see how facts are really our friends? Does the giving go up or down when I preach about it? That's an interesting statistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so the question for the benefit of the... Uh, I was going to say the tape. I'll show my age. Um, <laughs> is uh, did I, how did I address that? And, and the answer is that the last time that statistic reared its head, I, I told the whole church that that was the statistic and there was a massive gasp. And as a result, a whole bunch of young adults, young professionals started to give for the first time, which was really, really exciting. But I'm not sure what we're going to do this time. It's <laughs> happening again. Um, actually, the most contentious set of numbers or the most contentious set of data isn't numbers at all. It's names. And I want to have a, just a discussion about whether or not you as the leaders of the church know who gives or how much you give. And just to let you know where, where I'm going to land with it, um, in our context, for the last 12 years that we've been leading our church, we've chosen to not know who gives or how much they give. Uh, but that may change. And the reason it may change is because everywhere we go, we hear, we, hear, we hear people say that if we were to know, then that would be a really positive thing. So let me just um, talk about why it would be helpful to know who gives in your church and how much they give. I can see some of you squirming and other people really looking forward to this conversation. Um, the first reason I might want to know is because stewardship and, and what we do with our money is a discipleship issue. So... Um, you know, we care about what our people do with their genitals and we care about what our people do with their Bibles and we care about whether or not they pray. We care about whether or not they come to church. We care about whether or not they're part of a small group. Jesus talked a lot about money, so why do we not care about that? And if we do care about that, how do we pastor our people if we don't know what they're doing? 
That's the first thing. Stewardship is a discipleship issue. Secondly, every change in a person's giving is a, is a pastoral issue. So let's just say that somebody suddenly increases the amount they're giving to the church. Well, something's happened in their life. Maybe they've connected with Jesus in a really sweet way suddenly. Maybe they suddenly got the vision of our church in a fresh way. Maybe they've got a promotion at work. Maybe they've come into some money. Maybe they're they're suddenly in a really sweet place with Jesus. I'd want to know that, wouldn't I? Or let's say that somebody suddenly decreases their giving. Something's happened. They've lost their job. They've got into debt. They're suddenly really discontented with our church. They're not loving it at all. Maybe they stop giving altogether. Maybe they're stopping giving because they wanted to protest about something that they don't like about our church and I have no idea that they're protesting. Every change in a person's giving indicates a pastoral concern. I read about a couple who stopped giving to their church and the pastor was able to identify that and so they, they, they phoned them up and they didn't mention money at all. They just said, oh, I just phoned to see how you are. And they said, to be honest, we're in a living hell. Our son has, has turned out he's a heroin addict. He, we didn't realize because he lived some way away, but we found out he's a heroin ad- addict. We didn't know what to do. And so we've paid 40,000 pounds to put him into a private rehab. And it, we're just so desperate for him to change his life. And so we're just really, really struggling right now. Imagine if you hadn't known as a pastor that somebody in your church was going through something like that. Um, Last one, giving information helps to discern the opportunities that we give people. So imagine you're looking for a new worship leader or a new, uh, someone to look after your kids' ministry and you... um, you're making assumptions about whether they're really with you, they're deeply committed, they're with you at heart level. Um, giving isn't the only indicator, but it's certainly an indicator of their heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, can you see how having the information about what people give is really, really helpful? And so Taryn and I are at the place where we're wondering what the impact would be if we were to change what has been the culture of our church for some years. Um, why don't we, why have we chosen not to know? Well, actually, to be honest with you, it was initially a theological answer. The, the answer initially was, well, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so we had, mis- I think, mistakenly believed that that meant that all giving is supposed to be anonymous. But of course, Jesus isn't really addressing anonymity. He's you know, that in fact, he's, he actually sees the widow putting her copper coins into the temple thing, doesn't he? He doesn't say, oh, she should have kept that quiet. He's addressing pride. Um, the other reason we've chosen not to know is because we're not sure if our hearts can take it. And that's the real answer, is that our accountant tells us that we would be quite shocked if we saw who wasn't giving. And the people who we... As, you know, some, I guess some of our closest friends, perhaps, certainly people who we feel deeply connected to, we're assuming that they're deeply connected to the church. And would we be able to look them in the eye? Would we treat them the same? Would we pastor them in the same way if we knew that they weren't quite as committed to our local church as I 
thought they were. And so we're at a place, or we have been at a place, where we're like, we're just too weak to know that information. But if our own weakness is the only reason for us not knowing, then maybe we just need to man up or woman up. So, um, either way, whether you know or you don't know, I think what we do with, whether we collect the data and what we do with data is really, really important. So, for example, imagine if you started to give to the church and actually you'd, you'd been on a bit of a journey, like you'd never really considered giving before, but, but you'd really prayed about it, you'd talked to your small group leader about it, you'd really come to a place where you were giving way more than you thought you would ever be able to, you were really thrilled and excited about it, you were going on this adventure together, and then that gift was never acknowledged. Actually, we found out recently in our church, just being honest, that that's exactly what happens in our church at the moment. We were assuming that our finance team was doing something that they weren't. So how we respond to some of this data is really, really important. And um, actually what we want to do in our context is to say every change, like if someone increases their giving, if they start giving, if they stop giving, if they decrease their giving, if they give a sudden one-off gift, all of those kind of moments should be acknowledged in some kind of a way, even if it comes as an anonymous letter. So if it comes from Taryn and I and it says hey, you know, and the accountant writes an email saying, Chuck and Taryn don't know who you are, but uh, they've asked me to pass on this letter to everyone who uh, starts giving. And then the letter says, hey, where do, we don't know who you are, but we are so delighted that you're with us and for us. And we can promise you we're going to do everything we possibly can with that finance. And so uh, we're going to pay attention to data. Okay, we're on, that's a lot of information about data. We're going to move on from that. Um, the giving moment... In other words, the moment in our church services where um, an offering is taken. I met a guy whose career was helping church leaders think through stuff like this. And he said, I can bet you two things. He said, number one, I bet you that the moment you take up your offering in your church sounds like this. And now the ushers are going to come forward with the blah, 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 and they're going to blah, 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 blah. If you're visiting, blah, 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 blah. He said, that's the first bet. He said, I bet the, the second bet I make with you is that you say exactly the same thing every single week. And I was like, oh, that's brutal. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? They were, he was absolutely right. And he went on to say, do you know what? Your people don't even hear those words anymore. He said, you might as well not even bother saying them because you're saying the same words every week. They're, they're silent words. They don't even hear them. And then he went on to say, do you know what? If you were um, Cancer Research or the British Heart Foundation or the RSPCA and you had that opportunity to be in front of the same people every week for three minutes and to talk about this is the impact your money is having and, and you know, this is how we're using it and, and, and kind of make an invitation for other people who weren't giving to start to give towards that cause, they would bite your arm off for that opportunity and then they would make the most of every single second of that three minutes. And so we've started to really think through how do we do those moments? Do we do them in the same language every time or do we try and make sure that every time it's different? And what we've started to do is just for like 20 seconds for whoever's leading the service to say, hey, do you know what? Here's an amazing story of something that happened this past week. And then to kind of finish that story with, and that's why we're giving. That's what your money's going towards. 
Do you see, can you imagine the difference that would make week after week if people were hearing not just blah, 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 but actually some words that communicated, if you give, this isn't towards the church roof fund, this is towards changed lives and lost people being found and the poor being fed and the city being transformed, you would definitely start to give in a different way. Um, the other way that we were wasting the opportunity is that we were making it almost impossible for anyone to give regularly, right? So the way, the way it worked was that um, we would never speak about standing orders or anything like that on a Sunday morning. And, but somehow, if somebody, by the powers of telepathy, discovered that that was what we really wanted them to do, which is, of course, what it, we did want them to do, they would have to go to the welcome desk where they would speak to somebody who would have absolutely no idea the answer to the question of how do I start giving regularly. And then eventually the answer was you need to find either Larry or Barry. And, you know, like one of those two, they've both got the forms at home in their desk drawer. And so if you ask them, and they're unfortunately not here this Sunday, but <laughs> maybe next Sunday they might be here, then eventually um, in maybe six or eight weeks' time they're going to remember to bring that form to you by which time you, you're not actually there that Sunday. And so for about two years, you're kind of swapping emails and whatever. Eventually, the form makes its way to you by which you, time you've already started giving to the Cats Protection League. So we were like, do you know, this is just making it way too hard. And so we decided, well, what we're going to do is we're going to make it easy. We're going to say, do you know what? Um, if, if you want to start to give either just for today or to give regularly, it's coming up on the information is coming up on the screen right now. And it's like four taps of a smartphone if you want to give like that, or the baskets are here, or the storehouse bins are here, or whatever. And we're just trying to make it as simple as possible for people to be able to give. Uh, so hopefully a fresh explanation every week. Number five, nearly done. Number five, clear vision. We're going to pay attention to clear vision. I remember hearing about a pastor who in his morning devotions, he felt like the Lord had said to him quite clearly, you're to approach this particular businessman and you're to ask him for a million pounds towards your uh, church's ministry. And he was so compelled, he was like, that's what I'm going to do. So he contacted the businessman, arranged a meeting for lunch. They sat down together. And at the last minute, he felt so awkward and so embarrassed that instead of asking for a million pounds, he asked him for 100,000 pounds. And the businessman just took out his checkbook and said, sure, why not? And just wrote him a check for £100,000. The next day, this same pastor heard that uh, this, this same businessman had given £5 million to a parachurch organisation. And gosh, there are so many different things that I think we can learn from that story. But one of them is that people want to give their money to things that are really going to make a difference. And so it's really, really important that, that whenever we speak about vision, we talk about money. And whenever we talk about money, we talk about vision. Um, too often in churches, the way that money gets talked about is that you wheel out the church treasurer, who's like an accountant. And uh, if you're an accountant here, God bless you. We love accountants. We love accountants. But what... What happens is you wheel out the church accountant, you know, perhaps on a midweek rainy Tuesday night, you know, and they put up some pie charts on the, 
on the wall and then they get out their laser pointer and they start talking about the rate of inflation and depreciation and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, everyone's like, oh my goodness, this is just deadly. And uh, I, like for two or three people in the room who also speak accountant, they love it. <laughs> and everyone else is like, oh, I thought my money was making a difference. And so we've come to the conclusion that the only people who should ever speak about money in our church are leaders. Mostly Taryn and I. Also in our context, our site pastors occasionally will speak about money. But apart from that, it's like an outright ban. Like our trustees are amazing and they're brilliant and they help us to steward our money really, really well. But it's the wrong thing to get one of them to stand up and talk about their money because we should never divorce the money from the vision of the church. For everyone else in the church, what they want to hear is this. They want to hear the vision that you see when, you're cl- when you close your eyes. You know, when you close your eyes and you begin to dream and think about the impact that your church is going to make, that's what your people want to hear about. They don't want to hear about the rate of inflation and depreciation. That's, that's deadly. They want to know that the, the way their money is going to play in its part in writing a new future for your city. And so we're always asking Two questions. Is the vision clear? And is it clear how people's giving achieves the vision that you've laid out? Okay, two more. Uh, Number six, careful stewardship. We have three kids, two sons and a daughter, and they all use their pocket money in very different ways. Um, One of them is like so meticulous with every penny, so careful. They save up their money over weeks and weeks and weeks and then they find something they really, really need and they save up some more and then they go and buy it and the whole house is just full of joy that they've been able to achieve buying this thing. And then we've got another child who shall remain nameless who never has their pocket money for more than about 10 minutes. Usually it's spent before they've even received it. And they're living with this permanent regret, like, oh, I wish I hadn't spent my money on that because now I've seen this that I want to buy. And to be honest, as a parent, I don't love giving them pocket money because I just think, you know, I've sweated blood for this. (laughs) And you're just frittering it away. You're just wasting it. I want to give it to the other kid who's going to spend it on something that's worthwhile. (laughs) And the point is, let's not waste what other people have sacrificially given. Who wants to give to a church that wastes its money? I've come to realise that people are asking the question, am I a safe pair of hands? Am I going to steward their money carefully? One of the things that's absolutely certain to turn off the taps of generosity in our church is, is wasted money. But the other way to really discourage people from giving generously to the church is by hoarding it. You know, just imagine you work in a petrol station for minimum wage and you work all the hours that God sends. You've got very little in the way of savings. You know, it's like very much hand to mouth, but you're giving really what you can towards the ministry and mission of the church. And then somebody stands up at the annual Vision Sunday and says, good news, everyone, we've got £140,000 in the bank. And we're just wondering, we're just asking the Lord, like, is there anything he wants us to spend this £140,000 on? you're going to start to think to yourself, I don't think my church really needs my money. In fact, I think I need my money more than my church needs my money. And so we have to be really careful that if we are saving up money in our church for anything, that we really clearly communicate to our church 
this is what this money is being saved for. And this is why we still really, really need you to continue to give as generously as you can. So imagine a church with a huge vision that's communicated in a really clear and compelling way, carefully stewarding every single penny that's given, deploying it immediately exactly where it's needed and where it will make the most difference. That's the kind of church that I want to give my money to. I don't know about you. And then the last thing, the last thing I'm going to pay attention to is teaching and discipleship. I remember speaking to a pastor friend a few years ago and um, we, was, I was, we were speaking about how, how often we teach about money and generosity. And, and he was saying, oh, how often do you, do you teach about money? I was like, as little as possible. And he said, why, do you want to, why, why are you like that? I said, well, I, I, I just don't want to be that kind of church. And I, to be honest, I thought he'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, me neither. And he said, what do you mean that kind of church? What, what kind of a church is it you don't want to be? He said, is it the kind of church that has all the money it needs? Do you not want to be the kind of church that like, teaches people how to steward their money in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to steward their money? And uh, it's such as just nail me, nail me to the wall. That, that Actually, the reason I didn't want to talk about money is because I just didn't really like doing it. And actually, I, I think it's okay to feel uncomfortable to teach about particular things. It's just not okay to allow our discomfort to decide what our teaching program is. And... Um, to be honest, I'd go slightly further than that and say, if you can't get excited about what you're teaching about, why would you expect anyone to be excited about listening to you? And so I think we've got to come to a place where actually we're passionate about it and we love it and, uh, because we know that it's good for us and it's good for our people. Um, and so we've come to realise that as the leaders of our church, we're going to make sure that in our kids' ministry and in our youth ministry and in our small groups, and in our Sunday services, we're going to pastor our people well. Um, if you think about it like this, let's say someone uh, works full-time between age 25 and 65, and on average, over the course of that time, they earn 25 grand a year. Right? So the average salary in the UK is like 30-something thousand. So, but let's just say they don't, earn, you know, it's kind of close to minimum wage. So 25 grand a year on average over 40 years, it's a million pounds. A million pounds going through their fingers over the course of their working lives. We're responsible for helping them to think through how they're using that money. And actually, ultimately, what we're responsible for doing is to, is to help those people have a better experience on the other side of death, right? When they speak to Jesus face to face and they have to give an account for every penny. And so we are responsible to pastor our people well, to teach them well, to explain to them what the Bible says on the whole subject of money. And so we've just put together, just to summarise, we've put together this strategy that involves each of these seven things. And it's like, what if we just try to really just help our people, love our people, pastor our people to such a degree as uh, they begin to experience what we get to experience? And, and, and in a way, let, let me just finish with this final story. Um, for Taryn and I, when we first got married and we first stepped into pastoral ministry, the truth is that we weren't giving terribly generously 
And, and over the course of the years, the Holy Spirit has just been nailing us again and again. And often, you know, if you want to feel nailed by the Holy Spirit, then stand up and preach about giving. And it's, you know, it's going to affect the way you think about giving, right? And so over the years, we've given more and more and more to the ministry of our local church. And, it, and it's been um, quite uncomfortable. Uh, and, and we got to the point where there was like no fat on the bone at all. Like, you, you know, like we'd gone through every single part of our budget. We lived to quite a careful budget. We'd given as much as we could possibly think of. And then we got to a point, uh, like I was speaking about the other night, where we knew that God was calling our church to set out on this multi-site adventure and we needed close to half a million pounds to do that. And so we, we were standing up and saying to our church, we know that we've asked you to give again and again and again, but actually as a church now, we need to get, take this generosity thing to a whole other level. And so we looked at our budget and the only thing that we could find that we could give away was our holiday budget. So we were, just to be totally transparent, we were putting aside 200 pounds a month in, into a, uh, an account and, and accruing that over the course of a year to pay for a summer holiday with the family. And so we sat our kids down and we said, you know what, for the next three years, we're going to go and stay at Nanny and Grandad's for, for the summer holiday or whatever it was. Like, we just, we really feel this is important. We're going to do this as a family together. We all agreed. And then we had our moment where the five of us took our envelope on pledge day up to the front, sobbing, mainly because we were thinking, you know... <laughs> It's like, it's not going to be France this year, love, you know. Put our thing in the basket. Do you know what? I've no idea how this happened. Well, I do know. But um, for those three years, we had the best holidays abroad that we've more or less ever had. Like money would come through the door. We never mentioned it to anyone. Of course, we never told a single person that that's what we decided to do. But over the course of each year, we'd, like, money would just appear and, and, and we had the most amazing holidays. And you know what? That taught us so much about God's provision, his faithfulness, the fact that his maths is entirely different from ours, that, we, that he can be trusted, that he, that he will absolutely provide, and that there's a blessing that comes from outrageous generosity. And you know what? Even more important than me and Taryn learning that, our kids learned that in a way that they will never forget. And so therefore, if that's been our adventure... The reason why it's so important that we love and pastor our people through this stuff is, is, is not that we want money from them. It's we want that, all of that, for them too. And so that's why this is such an important subject. I'll stop there. Um, questions, comments, thoughts. Um, I'm fine if there are no questions at all, but anyone wants to just throw anything out? We do run the cat money course. Do you know, that's a really important question. So uh, um, we have a, one of our trustees is a financial advisor. And he said to me once, the mistake you're making is that you're assuming that everyone manages money in the way that you do. And he said, actually, most people don't operate a budget at all. And most people's financial situation is a bit of a mess. And so he and, and that was one of the reasons why we started to run the cap money course for people in our church and also outside our church. And lots of people, um, it's been an amazing route into meeting Jesus or connecting with the church because they've realized that their you know, household budget is in a bit of a mess and they've been able to do that. So we've loved doing that. And actually, do you know what? We offered it to our staff team and we said, you don't have to go, but you might find it helpful. Um, Taryn and I were the only people who didn't go. 
everyone else on our staff team was like, do you know what, I think I'll just go along just to, you know, hear it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got a friend who might have a problem with that, yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah. I don't have any wisdom on how to, how to get students to commit generally. Uh, I, I do think the hairier, the scarier the vision of the church, the more likely you are to keep them. Um, but in terms of generosity, like our line on that would be that um, if you... Obviously, lots of students are gathering and accumulating debt and all of that stuff. However they can still make sacrifices and give whatever they've sacrificed. So oh, maybe why don't you cut down on the amount of coffee you drink or the amount of times you go out clubbing or the amount of beer you drink or whatever it is and, and make a commitment to give that money uh, to, the, to the church. And, and, but I, I, like Tara and I are absolutely committed to, to believing that um, the earlier on in a child's journey they can learn sacrificial generosity the better. And so it's almost like students is one thing, but children is a whole other thing, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. So there's a couple of things that we've done. One of them is um, uh, where, where we've heard stories that people have said publicly about, you know, in our church, like we had a member of staff who um, couldn't afford to go to our leadership conference and then uh, they felt the Lord asking them to give some money away and lo and behold, some money came in, which is exactly the amount they needed to send them on their leadership conference. And we were like, do you know what? Let's just capture that as a story and then sh show that on video around all of our sites on a Sunday. Um, so, like, capturing individual stories is one thing. And then the other thing is, um, sometimes I'll just stand up and I'll say, hey, do you know what? Um, last month, I just heard last month, 16 new households or families decided to start giving. And we just want to say that if you're one of those families, we love that you did that. And we just want to just celebrate and cheer you on and everyone claps and applauds. And it just, because, uh, you know, you, you celebrate what you want to replicate. So if we just make it a thing that actually we love it when people start giving, then maybe other people might think, oh, that's what this church culture is. Maybe I might do that too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think this is where the church, like just being honest in my own personal view, like I hear a lot of churches in America talk about generosity in exactly the way that you're describing. You know, you need to find the people in your church who have a gift of generosity, who coincidentally give above a certain threshold. Uh, and, and they're the people who you're to, you know, uh, like I've heard pastors say, oh, I, you know, when I go on ministry trips abroad, I take a load of, I buy a load of postcards and I send postcards to all the people who give the most in our church. And that makes me want to vomit. I'm like, you know, in my Bible, it says that you shouldn't show special favour to people who have wealth. So... Let's not do that. But actually, I think that if you were a church that really was going after people who were only the highest high-capacity givers or whatever the phrase is, then you wouldn't choose to know what everyone gives. But actually, because we want this for all of our people, if we choose to know what everyone gives, then maybe that's a different, a different thing. And if we're communicating that we want everyone to give and not just high-capacity givers, then I think what we're communicating is that there are no special favours. But I do think, like I said earlier on, the pastoral relationship between us and our flock, as it were, is a really, really precious and nuanced thing. And the, one of the reasons why we've chosen to not know is because we just don't know how that knowledge would affect how we relate to people in ways that are almost impossible to avoid you know so I don't know That's what I meant. 
Yeah. It's a subtle thing, not yeah. No, I know, but it's, yeah, you're right. It's like, gosh, how do I make sure that I would treat somebody exactly the same whether they were giving five quid or 5,000 quid a month? Not that anyone in our church is giving 5,000 quid a month. But. Last question. Anyway, actually, when I speak to the millennials in our church and I say to them, hey, just explain to me, why do you think that giving, is not, uh, giving money is not such a feature of your lives when it is of uh, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, they always say, well, I, I am giving to our church. I'm giving time. And my answer to that is always, that's really great. Do you know that actually time doesn't pay our electricity bill? Uh, and so like, part of my answer, just being completely honest with you, is, is like, we're all giving time. And, and, uh, but actually, the, we still need money to pay the bills. But as well as that, I agree with you that we, we do want our people to invest their time, their talents, and their treasure. And so we're gonna, you're exactly right. We're going to celebrate all three of those things as much as we possibly can. And we're going to say, do you know what? Thank you so much. All of you people who serve our kids, you know, as a parent, I can tell you that that has absolutely transformed the trajectory of my family. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, these are the first children who've been born in my family who are uh, born into a Christian family. And you, as the people who serve our kids, are, are um, helping to disciple them so that, so that every generation will grow up in a Christian home. We just want to thank you so much. So we do celebrate that. I've not heard much teaching or anything on tithing time. Do you want to just come back on that? Like the idea of... Like, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Because isn't it so funny? Like, what we find is, like, somebody, like, they do badminton on a Monday night. They do, um, you know, skiing on a Tuesday night. They do uh, cubs on a Wednesday night. They've got something on every night of the week. And they serve once a month on the tea and coffee rotor. And they, they come to you eventually and say, do you know what? I'm just so tired. You know, church is just expecting so much from me that I'm going to have to stop serving on the tea and coffee rotor. And it's like, wow, you know, you You've, you know, you're perceiving the church is taking everything that it really isn't. I love the idea that you could say, why don't you give the first of your time and the best of your time and the most alive of your time? I love that. I'm going to think about that some more. Thank you for that. Um, the, the, these are the two things I'm holding in tension. On the one hand, I'm holding the tension of, um, uh, actually, we're trying to demonstrate with our whole church budget what we want you to do with your church, your household budget, right? So I want the whole church to be demonstrating outrageous generosity and giving to the point that it actually curtails some of the decisions or constrains some of the decisions that we might want to make. At the same time as that, I'm thinking, if I'm working in a petrol station for minimum wage, am I going to love what that money is being spent on? And I think most of the time, those kind of gestures are really significant and important, and at other times, they come across as a waste of money, and we've just got to ride the balance between those two. Can I pray for us? And then I'll, I'll just be here and we can uh, happily chat with anyone else. Lord Jesus, we, we um, just recognise that, that uh, we are the project before anyone else is the project. And we want to thank you for your faithfulness and your provision to us as individuals. We're so grateful that you have been so faithful. 
And it's our commitment that, that we want to choose to grow in generosity. Living simply and being able to give more away. And at the same time as that, we would love to see that replicated throughout the people of our churches and the people of our movements and beyond. So we pray that by your spirit, you would cause a culture of radical generosity to rise up in your church, O oh God. And all God's people said, Amen, 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 Amen.